Welcome to the On Strategy Showcase. This is Fergus in Chicago. Today we talk with Tomasz Gonsorsek. He's the Chief Strategy Officer for North America for VML YNR. And exciting to talk to him today about New Balance. New Balance is a brand that has been around since 1906 and started by an Irishman, so I feel good about that. But it's had this long history of being owned by a family. And when it began to sort of zero in on its own uniqueness, it focused on this concept of independence and expanded upon that definition recently and formalized it with this current marketing team to be this concept of fearlessly independent. And this concept is not a completely new concept for the brand because this is a brand that for many decades was sort of carried this tagline of endorsed by no one. And that had kind of been the brand's reflective of the brand's attitude and the brand's ethos. So they're kind of modernizing it for the current day with this idea of fearlessly independent. And um, you can obviously see the work here on the episode page. Uh, It'll show you examples from a number of the different campaigns that sort of extended off of this brand positioning in terms of in the performance part of their business in running and athletics, and also in the more streetwear oriented uh, and uh, lifestyle oriented products that are reflected in campaigns such as uh, Runs in the Family and a couple of other examples. So great stuff here from the team and really great at explaining uh, how the uh, independence uh, is sort of a filter or a screen through which they decide which athletes they're going to uh, they're going to partner with. So this is fearlessly independent. This is the New Balance story. Enjoy. Welcome, Tomash. Great to have you here. A great time to be talking about uh, cool brands like New Balance. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. It's it's a great category. I I think you know maybe some of the some of the best sort of. Uh, in terms of culture, leading edge things and culture happening that are leveraged within sort of these sorts of uh, brands like uh, footwear and activewear brands, sports, sports and athletic brands. So it's got to be fun to work on. Oh, it's amazing. It's a, I feel like you learn every day, but you apply your passions to it. So it's a privilege. You're right. Yeah, we've had the, we've had the pleasure to have um, a Nike on here, uh, Adidas on here. So it's great to have New Balance because I think New Balance has a has a unique story to tell. And while its its um, outputs in terms of of brand communications are sort of familiar to people, the uh, the backdrop of what this brand is and the company uh, was not to me. And uh, I think that that's a story that's not told too commonly. So can you give us a sort of a a sense of the history of the company and the brand? Absolutely. Well, New Balance um, was founded in 1906 by an, by an Irish immigrant, um, William J. Riley. That's, that's where it all started. So it's a very old business. Um, and a fun anecdote to, to kick it off with, you know, imagine William was sitting in his yard one day and noticed that chickens, you know, when you look at the anatomy of a chicken, they're, they're quite sizable compared to the size of their feet, yet they have a perfect balance. And so he observed the, the three-pronged nature of how their feet are constructed and used that principle to develop a new three-point system for um, insole inserts, um, which he called the New Balance, hence the New Balance company. So it's quite fascinating if you think about that, you know, it's kind of an, almost an orthopedic heritage that goes back more than 100 years and then 
most kind of recent iteration of New Balance athletic shoe company um, comes from 1972 when Jim Davis bought the business. It was um, very small at the time and built it into what it is today. You know, today it's a, it's a privately owned company. Um, I think it's one of the, if you look at the big brands in, in that space, I think it's the only one, uh, which comes with its own, um, with, with its own kind of story and the perspective on the world, but it's truly a storied business. It's, a, it's always interesting to, just, to see the degree to which the brand leverages that, that history and that set of principles that's, that have uh, been a part of a family-owned company. Can you tell us a little bit about what that, uh, how those, those principles are translated into actions and behaviors of the company corporately? So when you think about the products that they put out there since the 70s, you know, all the kind of famous numerical products like 990s that Steve Jobs used to wear or 574s or you know, I think Willie Nelson was a you know, famous um, person that, that wore those. There's this unparalleled commitment to quality and some, in many cases to the detriment of um, the price, you know, affordable price and accessible price. You know, some of their famous advertising in the 80s would would say things like, you know, mortgage your house because the product was over $100, which at that point in time was unprecedented. But it's that commitment to not cutting corners with the quality, you know, not necessarily jumping on trends, you know, even I would almost go as far as say as to not being marketing driven as a company, but instead being really good shoe manufacturers. Um, and then building the business from there. But I think this kind of passion and pride in the craft of shoemaking, I think it kind of defines the core of it. And also they've got, um, they manufacture all of the products in the United States. Well, the vast majority are manufactured here in the United States. They have five plants here, and then they have one, one plant in the UK. So this is, for all intents and purposes, a made in America brand, which certainly doesn't hurt when you're marketing uh, in recent times. So domestic manufacturing is a big part, big part of who they are. Um, they do manufacture overseas as well. Um, I think some of that is, you know, dependent on where the expertise lies. You know, for instance, some of their the performance running products are made in different markets. And I think when you talk about domestic manufacturing, it's it's critical from the standpoint of I think commitment to the communities. I think you know I had the privilege to. To see the um, the shoe factory in um, Lawrence, Massachusetts, and the people that you meet there are you know second, third generation shoemakers. And I think to this day, New Balance sees it as a it's a commitment to that community to continue manufacturing and to respect that that tradition. And I think not that many people know that um, in the Northeast and especially in that part of of the Northeast, um, you know, many um, shoe brands were there previously. Converse. Um, you know, Reebok, Saucony, many brands have made their shoes in that area. But to this day, I think New Balance is one of the very few ones that kind of have honored that tradition and manufactured there to this day. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you use the term shoemaker. How cool is that? I mean, you can, the imagery that comes to mind when you think about that, that uh, the craftsmanship, this is a person that's making the shoe. And then that's, that may be true around the world, but nobody talks about it if it's happening overseas. But uh, and, and nor do you guys talk about it as part of a marketing message, but but at some point in time, that craftsmanship has to be able to play a role in some level of communication at some time. Well, I think it's you know to give you a couple of examples. One is 
um, you know, with this current um, COVID-19 situation, New Balance were able to transform their um, domestic manufacturing facilities into um, a face mask uh, manufacturing facilities in the span of, I want to say, 10 days or a couple of weeks. And, you know, that's only possible if you control and your, 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 those factories are part of your business and the people within them um, are absolutely committed to the craft. You know, where from the, from the design through to actually producing the masks, they were able to do that, do that in a very short space of time. So when you guys when you guys connected with them in 2016, did they come with a sort of a, a defined sense of their brand, or was that part of the ask that they needed to sort of refresh it? When we started working with New Balance, and I think it's part of the pitch, you know, we through our own data discovered that differentiation is a major major issue. Um, if you're a young consumer, or if you're trying to make a choice between different running shoes, if you're getting into running, um, people struggle to differentiate. I think for us, that was problem number one. How do you stand out from that sea of kind of very similar athletic communication? And then the second one is, I'm sure, you know, you've heard kind of New Balance both was born, was born, you know, was worn by um, Steve Jobs, but on the other hand, it definitely has a dad shoe connotation. Um, so I think some of that is how do you re-energize who the customer base is to bring in new generation of people into the brand. So it's kind of twofold problem. You know, one, one is kind of, you know, the health of the brand from brand equity standpoint, and then how do you regenerate who the customer is for the brand? So you said it was a, it was a dad uh, brand in terms of the shoe? <laughs> right. So what does that, what did that mean? How did you interpret what that means? Dad, it's a dad brand. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. I think the, some of the iconic product came in the 90s, and I think that's where they've had an amazing time with the products they put into the market. And I think that it attracted a generation of people. And I think since then, those people have become that. And as much as that, you know, that makes the product really stable within a certain consumer base, it doesn't necessarily make it appealing to a 16-year-old kid that's, you know, watching the NBA and, <laughs> and yeah. is trying to be cool as much as, you know, athletic. Yeah, because I think, I think the, uh, the shoe hadn't been on an NBA player since 1998 when it was worn by James Worthy, right, in the, in the NBA finals. That's right. That's right. And also what I, what I loved about the fact, and we'll get into the details about this later, but this brand has grown from, 1.78 billion in 2010 to 4.1, probably even more now, uh, 2018, 2019. I mean, it's just massive growth. I mean, you know, it's, it's in, the category is interesting because you have, you, have, you have Nike and Adidas as kind of two massive, massive enterprises um, that I think are fighting it out year in, year out. And then I think New Balance has benefited from um, being a, really exciting and interesting option, third option. You know, so I think from that standpoint, I think from business strategy standpoint, we've really adopted the challenger mindset and go in our own way because I think that allows you to capture and speak to a consumer that, you know, is looking for something new. Um, I think that led to the growth and both in terms of um, just the footprint around the world, across categories, you know, types of people that we're seeing coming into the brand today. So had they already worked with Adam Morgan and Eat Big Fish in terms of as a, as a they had worked with them as, as sort of a strategy consultant on developing a direction? Were you guys a part of that or did you come in afterwards? We came in, um, it's, it's kind of around the similar time when 
um, I think the company was trying to figure out the new direction. You know, they've gone, they've, they've tried to build a centralized uh, kind of business unit based model for how they go to market. Um, and it didn't necessarily work. You know, we're talking about 2014 to 2016. Um, so I think when, when we came in, it was around the time when they started to think about it as a challenger. And I think you know, the, the Eat Big Fish guys kind of came in to, um, to, to help kind of get the organization oriented in that way. I think where we then came in as a, as a AOR to, was to kind of find the truth and then articulate it to both internally to the employees um, and, to, and to the market. The DNA of New Balance is, um, isn't running. So, you know, if, um, if Jordan and Nike have um, a basketball and um, Adidas, probably, probably soccer um, or football, I think for New Balance, it's been, it's been very much running. Um, and I think the, from, from segment standpoint, I think the focus has been very much on um, kind of using that as the core. You know, this is who we are. This is where the product innovation happens. This is where people come into the brand and stay with the brand. Um, and that's been working for them really, really well. Um, but when you think about, you know, what happened in the, kind of the category overall over the last few years has been this interplay between um, sports and culture and music and fashion, lifestyle. And when you think about running, with the exception of, you know, urban um, city running crews that have emerged over the last few years, it's not exactly a sport that you would see um, you know, see so kind of featured on, on Instagram as kind of the coolest sport out there compared to, compared to the, the cultural relevance of basketball, for instance. So I think it was not, not necessarily a place of, you know, we're unhappy with um, kind of our segment approach, but there is a lot more for us to do to make the brand culturally relevant as we look to the next phase of growth. So they come to you and they have a briefing or they have a set of asks. What were those asks? And what did they come to the table with? The ask was quite simple yet, you know, complex as, as it tends to be in these cases, um, which is to rewrite the story of New Balance on their own terms that would allow them to become relevant and differentiate it um, both to themselves when they think about who they are, but then also importantly um, to the world. When you think about um, and when, it comes, when we think about the world, it's very much, you know, winning in the U.S. and then winning overseas. I think in, in the entirety of the category, you know, there are some must-win markets, whether it's U.S., China, um, and then it kind of changes. You know, Europe is very important. But I think being globally relevant um, was probably as important as the story that they wanted to tell. So how did you guys go about sort of developing that narrative? Was there a lot of discovery work and planning work done or was a lot of, was it already done and coming out of the eat big fish um, engagement? Um, I mean, we have conducted as, as part of the work, um, a great amount of investigation and I think discovery it's to me, I think what, when you think about the end point of our work around, you know, developing fearlessly independent as a platform, it really is an articulation of an existing brand truth uh, within New Balance. I think that's why probably it landed really well with the organization and, and with the market. It was authentic to the brand. I mean, when you think back on it, was it a matter of looking to find a way that you could um, make the, the brand's um, equities, or, or at least its, its principles, 
independence um, going its own way? Was it, was it sort of looking at ways to sort of connect that to things that were happening in culture or was it just more sort of coincidental that they, that they just sort of emerged and connected almost, almost with a sense of symmetry? Once we started talking about independence, something that we really want to, want to lean into, people that were designing the product, people that were marketing it, prospective athletes, everyone felt that this was, this is who we want to be. This is why we want to come to work. This is type of world that we want to create for, for New Balance. So I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to sort of, for you to take us inside the, uh, or behind the curtain on this, where this, this, this theme of independence, did it come out of a meeting? Did it come out of a moment? Cause I know sometimes just the dots connect and it's like, Oh my God, this is it. Did, did that come in prior to the pitch or was that something that emerged afterwards? It, I mean, it's, you know, it's, these things are always interesting and it, they, they, they take their time. The yeah. process um, happened after the pitch. Um, I think, you know, the pitch was there to, I believe, to find the right partner. And I think I, I, I believe it's, an, it's been an amazing match then and it, as it is now. Um, but the process to arrive at fearless independence um, took um, quite a few months after the pitch itself um, with full involvement of the internal team and our team to get us there. Um, and I want to say it came out of a, came out of a workshop, you know, <laughs> uh, it was it. very structured that involved not just marketing, but involved representatives from the entire company where, you know, with good facilitation and good inputs, people that love the brand and mean well um, decided on a point of view. And, you know, it's very hard in any big company to get a group of 30, 40 people to agree on something, but, once you get through the, the dot voting exercise and people kind of have a chance to stress test the concept that everyone is behind it, um, I think I feel like we had something special. You know, we then, of course, validated with consumer research and ensure that there's there's good match. Um, but it comes down to, I think, just the group being excited. The brand had sort of stepped away from its uh, sponsorship of athletes back in the 1990s. And I'm curious... Uh, why did they get back into that? Was there a strategic reason and was it part of fearlessly independent? You know, um, endorsed by no one has been the mantra of the business for, uh, for many, many years. Um, and I think it's um, something comes from this kind of humble confidence that the product and, you know, the shoes and the apparel kind of stand on their own when it comes to the quality of, of what they represent. I think throughout the years, New Balance continued to have really, really great relationships with runners, with baseball players, with many, many athletes. And I think what Fearlessly Independent gave us and gave New Balance is a, is a lens for the types of people that, that they really want to work with and they want to be very closely connected to. You look at uh, Kawhi Leonard. Talk, talk about Kawhi and, uh, Kawhi and the... Uh... Toronto Raptors. Right. I mean, that was, um, you know, that was re-entering to basketball after, after many, many years. You know, you mentioned James, James Worthy, um, but he's not your kind of classic LeBron character, um, but he's an incredible athlete that goes his own way. So I think that, again, the, the brand filter allowed us to zero in on, on athletes like that and build very strong relationships. So he's, sort of, he's, he's, he's very humble. He's, he's an amazing athlete. He's talented, but he's not sort of a, he's not showy about him. 
is that sort of the spirit of what the brand is really about? Um, we spoke for, for a long time about, um, you know, the brand, sometimes it's um, humility was interpreted as not, be, not wanting to be in the spotlight. And we feel that it's really important to actually be in the spotlight as a brand um, because we have a great product and great athletes. So I think what we, what we found in Kauai, for instance, is an, is an athlete that goes his own way, has his own personality, but is absolutely an amazing performer on the, on the world basketball stage. So I think that's, that's the spirit that we're after. And you see it in, um, in other aspects, um, in other sports, like Sidney McLaughlin is an amazing, um, is, is an amazing runner. And that for us is another example of an emerging young athlete that we want to fully support um, because of our own independence. And Coco Goff, right? She, was she signed up with the brand or, or was, was that a formal uh, sponsorship or was that just happened more organically? Yep. I mean, that's, um, that's another partnership that, that kind of happened and exploded last year. But you're starting to get the sense of for a type of a person that I think we want to be associated with. Uh, I think, you know, the way from kind of brand building standpoint, we look at these, um, these amazing athletes as, I guess, brand assets, you know, with every act, with every social post that they put out there, whether they wear the brand or not, we want people to feel that, feel less independence in their, in their act. So it's actually, you know, it's interesting. We talk a lot about the fact that, you know, you, you would struggle to see a New Balance TV ad out there in the market because, you know, I think the way we look to build the brand long term is through athletes and through people that live and represent the brand as opposed to the brand, you know, saying that it's fearlessly independent. Do you see a role for New Balance in sort of lifestyles or, or creator culture class or street culture at all? Or is that not your focus? I think we're we're acutely aware of the interconnectedness of um, of these various spheres that people today pay attention to. Um, you know what happens on the field of play um, impacts type of music that is put out there, impacts type of fashion that people want to wear, and back to the court. Um, I mean, basketball is probably the best example of that you know where kind of the players coming on into the stadium has become a fashion show um and you know basketball players going on to be um to be hip-hop artists etc so there's an amazing kind of creative interdependence between um between between these fields and i think that's how we're looking at it too you know we we want to see our athletes as multi-dimensional you know they have creative interests they have athletic interests um and vice versa so i think Try to have a very rounded view and create influence between those aspects of who we are. You know, whether it's the connection between the basketball product that's out there and the lifestyle shoes that we put out to create a certain New Balance aesthetic and a certain New Balance universe. So I think when we look at when we think about our people that we want to be associated with, I think it's that kind of whole roundedness of of their pursuit of of, of independence and kind of, and going their own way. So I, I can imagine. Before we start, uh, before we turn the corner and start talking about the work, I can imagine as a strategist going to a client and saying, "We've got this, we've got this uh, concept of fearlessly independent, and uh, we love it, and it's it seems to be playing out well." And I can imagine somebody in the room possibly saying, "How do we know that there's a large enough market um, who would be uh, sort of attracted to that proposition?" And uh, and how would you answer that? 
Well, um, it's the, I think it's confidence to act. Because um, I think that's what ultimately really matters um, in, the, in this important moment. I think the being on the same journey where it's not really as a strategist presenting something um, completely new to our clients, but instead, you know, we're revealing the truth that we've all discovered as part of the workshops and, and the journey. Um, so that when you're getting to the moment of approval, um, everyone's on the same page. Um, whether the opportunity is big enough, I think you need to, I mean, I firmly believe this as a strategist, you need, as, a, as a brand, you need to have a perspective of the type of world you want to create. Um, not necessarily next in the next three months, but in the next five years. And then pursuing that vision of that world with a very clear role for the brand. And so when you, when you look out five years from now, do you, what do you see as the, the dynamics within sports and sports culture as it relates to how consumers will, or what consumers will be looking for from athletes and what role they'll play in popular culture? Do you see it as being significantly different than it is today? I mean, you already see it with, you know, now with success of Kawhi, where, you know, he was voted the all-star MVP and won the championship last year. And I you would still struggle to see him on social media. <laughs> right. um, and yet he's still doing extremely well. And then Coco is another athlete of ours. You know, she is very authentic the way she presents herself. And I think that to me is the future of, sport where i think you know a spectator or aspiring athlete feels very connected to an athlete as a person and as an amazing amazing competitor versus a celebrity that is or you know a marketing product um and then i think it's really important you know i think the authenticity in sport i think will have to come back so let's talk about uh, let's talk about how you took and how you translated um, fearlessly independent into consumer-facing work. When you're briefing creative or working with creative, how did you sort of uh, how did you want them to to interpret uh, fearlessly independent creatively? The interaction with creative and the creative work was very much focused on articulating the spirit of independence um, across sports that matter to us and cultural um, categories that that matter to us in a way that um, really clearly states that New Balance is fearlessly independent since 1906. And the simplicity of the message, you know, made its way into online video, into social, into retail, you know, even to this day when you buy a pair of New Balance and you open up the shoebox, the wrapping paper um, is filled with um, mentions of fearless independence since 1906. And then if you look at it from 2018 to where we are today, it has really become a story of engaging both the consumer um, as well as um, the athletic community, the athletes, and um, how we express that independence um, in our communication. So when you look at 2020, um, most of the brand is represented by three words, we got now. And that statement to us represents that people that are independent um, win and can own the now, when you get Kawhi or Coco um, or other, other people that we're associated with. It's actually a very optimistic call saying that as an independent person, you can actually seize the moment um, in a very powerful way. Can you tell me what you want uh, we got now to mean? You know, I, I, I believe that as a society, we've become quite negative and divided 
um, not just in the US, but, and, but around the world. And yet there is definitely this pent up optimism for positive change that in many cases comes from not even millennial, but you know, the younger generations that have seen, when you think about you know, some of the athletes, unfortunately, that they were caught doping or that have really kind of succumbed to the celebrity um, way of thinking about themselves. And I think people, you know, young people have grown up with those heroes kind of falling by the wayside a little bit. I think as they are getting into high school, as they're getting into college, I think they're becoming slightly restless in wanting to seize the moment and, and own it and make the world how they like it. And I think Sydney, Coco, those are great examples for us specifically of athletes that live those values. So I think we got now for us is a really exciting, very optimistic call to arms for all independents to, to take action. Tell us about um, tell us about the Runaway Pub in London. This was a great initiative. What a brilliant thought! Where, where did that all come from? And tell us about what it is. Oh, so fun! So Runaway Pub um, was a physical pub that we opened up in London, where runners training for the London Marathon were able to exchange their miles for pints, which is pints of beer. So you would show up after after a run to the pub and um, through a very simple mobile wallet um, activation, you were able to, and integration into Strava, you were able to show um, how the miles translated into a pint that you were able to redeem there and then. Um, it was A, so much fun, and B, again, to the spirit of creating joy and fun around running, um, you know, we, it could not have gone any, any better for us. We've also done a version of that in new york for the new york city marathon with pizza you know pizza in new york slices of pizza in new york come to go together really well and i want to say in the first few days of the launch of that we've logged about half a million miles that people have redeemed against uh, against pizza slices um so you know to our earlier point about making sport fun um i think you, and connecting it to performance i think that's that's become really important for us through activations like these yeah, I mean, it, and it wasn't just a pub. It was also a place where there was an area set out for a, almost a gym-like space where you could stretch or you could do weights. So it was this combination of of the social and the athletic in one environment. Absolutely. And I think for us, you know, it's really kind of shown what the modern retail could look like, where it becomes a community center and um, a way for people to get together. Yeah, I was talking to, I was talking recently to, John Kenny, who's Chief Strategy Officer at FCB here in Chicago, and they do the, the Michelob Ultra uh, beer. And they've, they've been positioning that whole brand against the target that they define as the social athlete. And when I, when I saw the Runaway Pub, I had to just shoot John an email to say, you, Michelob uh, Ultra's got to connect uh, with New Balance so we can become the sponsored beer of your Runaway Pub's. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, you know, there's there's a true insight in um, runners needing to carb up after after a run. So um, it's not it's not just a social um, engagement. There is an actual functional benefit to it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Are there any other aspects of of the uh, sort of the rollout of fearlessly independent that we should touch on? Anything else that you that you particularly love? I love how we are able to take a simple brand truth um, and apply it across, across how the company operates in every aspect of what it does. I think as marketers and as agency people, you know, we oftentimes find ourselves confined to 
piece of film or a social content strategy. And it's been honestly so rewarding to see that you can build consumer engagement through great content, of course, but in the same way you can do that through the athletes that you work with, and you can also do it through the product that you develop and the retail experience that you create around it. So, and seeing all of these as levers that you can pull um, as a strategist to help the brand grow. So what was the role of social in the whole spirit of independence theme? Was, 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 there, a, was there a separate strategy? And what, what sorts of things were you doing on social? Or, what, or were the athletes doing something? Social is the primary channel, I want to say, for the brand overall. Um, we're, we're fairly um, allergic to paid media as a means of getting <laughs> the brand That's out a nice there. way to put it. <laughs> fairly <laughs> um, allergic. <laughs> fairly you know, reasonably um, uncomfortable. Um, it, I think primarily because, you know, again, to the spirit of authenticity, if consumers are not interested in sharing and participating in your content as you put it out there, but instead you have to rely on you know, paid eyeballs to, to, get it, to get it out, then in most categories in which we operate, it simply doesn't work. So when you look at segments, uh, of creator class, wh- whether it's music or whether it's fashion or whether it's art. Well, tell us a little bit about Runs in the Family, that campaign. Was that, uh, was that uh, it obviously, I assume, or, or can you tell us at least, the connection of that to Fearlessly Independent? So Runs in the Family, I think specifically was, um, was a lifestyle campaign for us around one of our iconic silhouettes, 997. Um, but it was very much about you know, there's a certain aesthetic to that specific product. There's a certain aesthetic to New Balance and a certain family of people that are, that love to be associated with it. So I think, you know, historically, you know, we have people like Mos Def and others, um, you know, wear the product as well. I think it's really important for us to kind of celebrate people like that. Tomasz Gonsorsik, VML YNR's uh, Chief Strategy Officer for North America. Thank you, man. It was great having you on the show. Thank you so much. This was really, really good. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spell your name so that people can actually connect with you on LinkedIn. It's T O M A S, last name G O N S O R C I K. Did I get it right? That's right. Thanks so much for your time today. Take care. You bet. This was really good. Thanks. Thank you.